Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So today we're talking about a shift in our role, role models, and I want to start by, by uh, asking a question of you. What's this church thing really all about? What is it that we're hoping to accomplish with, with church? Why are we here? Why do you come? And before you answer that question of kind of really I'm asking, what's the bottom line of Crosswalk Church? Before you answer it in your mind, I want to share with you something that I heard for the first time this week. And it, uh, it surprised me a little bit, so I went and checked it out and confirmed it. But I heard from someone that there are only two times in the Bible where we're told that Jesus was amazed at something. Those, those two, the, that subject goes with that predicate, Jesus was amazed. There are a lot of times, uh, and I'm sure you can recall those, when Jesus was teaching or he was doing miracles and, and people said they were amazed at what Jesus was doing, but only two times do we hear that Jesus was amazed. One of those is when Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth and he went back and he's teaching and doing what Jesus did and the people looked at him and said, who does this guy think that he is? Isn't this Joseph's boy? He grew up right here in our midst, just a carpenter. Isn't this Mary's son, aren't Aren't these his brothers here that we live with every day, James and Jude and so on, and, and his sisters? Maybe some of you didn't know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. But after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other kids, both brothers and sisters. Jesus was a big brother to them. And, and what the people of Nazareth did is they, they slammed Jesus. They put him down. Who, who does this guy think that he is. And that's where we hear that Jesus was amazed because the Bible tells us when he saw the response that his own hometown gave to him when he returned to it, it the Bible tells us that he was amazed at, anybody fill in the rest of it? Their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And the reason I bring this up is there's a very similar set of circumstances occurring when the author of the letter to the Hebrews writes his letter. And let me give you a little bit of background before we read this, this passage that's at the top of your crosswalk notes from Hebrews chapter 13. You see, what's happened, as you well know from the, from the, the journeys of the Apostle Paul, Paul was called to be a missionary to the Gentiles, but ironically... When Paul went out and he began to start churches in Asia Minor, you recall where he always started first? He would always make his first stop the synagogue in each little town. First Iconium and then Lystra, then Derby, and then so on and so forth. And he would speak, first of all, to 
his brother and sister Jews to let them know that all the promises of the Old Testament had been fulfilled and that this is an exciting and pivotal time because remember all those sacrifices? Well, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And And remember that God has told us that he would send someone to save us from our sins and crush the head of Satan. That's happened. His name is Jesus Christ. And he got so excited to share this with the Jews. But that always created uh, a split among the Jews. Some some who would believe and begin to follow Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. and, And some who refused to accept that he was the Savior sent from God. Well, obviously, in that scenario, then Paul would go on and preach to the Gentiles. Churches would sprout up, and they would be made of partly Jews and partly Gentiles. And that, those early groups of people, because they were stepping out from what they had always known and always done, and often disconnecting from their families to become followers of Jesus Christ, they were devoted followers of Jesus, on fire. But many years later, that initial fire began to burn low. In fact, you can, if you read the early chapters of the book of Revelation, see some of what was beginning to occur in these congregations around Asia Minor. And the author of the the letter to the Hebrews is addressing this same issue. Clearly, this is a Jew writing to some fellow Jews, trying to lead them to come back to their Jewish faith. And why were they drifting? They were drifting mainly, part, uh, mainly uh, because they were afraid. Partly it might have just been, you know, this is now old hat. But there was also a very active threat against these Jewish Christians that they could easily lay to the side if they would simply return to becoming Jews. Because over in those intervening years, what had happened is that Judaism in the Roman Empire, remained a legal religion. Remember, this is the Roman Empire. They have the power to say and do pretty much what they want. And they, they continue to, to say Judaism is a legal, accepted religion in the empire, but Christianity, which is now seen as separate from Judaism, is not a legal religion. And under the auspices of the Roman government, the Christians begin to be persecuted. Their property is confiscated. Some of them are arrested Some of them, under emperors like Nero, uh, are even martyred for their Christian faith. And that leads to the natural thought among these Jewish Christians. They are Christians who started out as Jews. You know, this isn't so safe for us to be Christians. Maybe we ought to just go back to what we know. And in fact... This whole letter to the Hebrews is written by someone who says, don't make that U-turn. Don't backslide from this faith that you've been given because this is right. This is correct. This is, as Jonathan just told us, the one and only way to forgiveness, a restored relationship with God and eternal life in heaven. Don't let anyone argue you out of it. And earthly safety is not worth giving all this up. And as you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll, you'll find that the author is constantly defending why 
Christianity is the fulfillment of all the promises of Judaism. And that's why we have to stick with Christianity. But he comes to one of the last chapters in the book. And then he says, here's what I want you to remember. Remember those, those early days? And, and, the, and the people who passionately led us forward to know Jesus and to follow Jesus? I want you to remember those men and those women, those great men and women of God. And I want you to follow them because they follow Christ. And that's where we get to the idea of role modeling. So let's read it together. Hebrews 13, it'll be on the screen. You can look at it in your crosswalk notes or, or your Bible app or your Bible. Here's what it says. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Boy, now, I just want to pause there. In today's world, that literally sounds challenging and maybe somewhat dangerous because it sounds a little bit like he's saying, follow people. And he is. But what we're going to see is he's saying, follow people when they follow Jesus. Because that's what those early leaders had done. Let's, let's keep going. Do not be carried away. See, he, he can see clearly they're, they're, they're sliding back. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, which only comes through Jesus. Not by eating ceremonial foods. That's a little shot at their previous faith, which is of no benefit to those who do so. It doesn't work. We have an altar, a better altar than the altar in the temple in the tabernacle. And it's an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. If we would have asked the author of the book of Hebrews, what's the church all about? What's it trying to accomplish? Why are we here? What do you think he would have answered? Before you answer that, let me tell you the second reason or the second place in the Bible where it says that Jesus was amazed. We heard the first one. Anybody know where the second one is? The second one involved a Gentile man, not a Jewish man, a Roman centurion. And in this case, this was a man who wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus is ready to go with him. And the man says, Jesus, you don't have to go with me. I, I understand what it is to be a man in authority and have people report to me. Uh, my own soldiers. I, I, I'm over a over hundred soldiers. I tell them to go and they go. I tell them to come here and they come here. I tell them to do this or that and they do it. Jesus, I, I know you. You are the Savior. You're the Lord. You're God. You have authority and I trust that. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Amazing. He didn't even need to have Jesus accompany him to the house of the servant to heal him. And I put this in your notes because this is also important. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. There it is. And said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. 
Why do we have church? Well, the answer is really contained in looking at both of these instances in which Jesus was amazed. And did you get the connecting word? The connecting concept in both of those stories? It's a little word. Five letters that begins with the letter F. In Nazareth, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And with the centurion, he says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. What's the church here for? It's to build people of faith. It's to build people who look like that centurion. It's to have a church and a community filled with people so that Jesus, if Jesus would come here to Crosswalk Church, he wouldn't just look at one person here and say, man, I, I've never seen anything like this guy or this, this gal. He would say, I can't believe this church. I can't believe the people in this church. They have such great faith. I've never seen it in Christianity before. A, a whole church filled with people who trust me. See, that's, that's what church is. That's, that's what we're trying to build is a community of people who have the faith of the centurion. And we're trying to avoid what's happening with the Hebrews and what's, what happened when Jesus went to Nazareth that, that, that we slide back from our faith or we lose our faith or our faith fades or that we don't get it. And right down to today. Now, I want you to understand why faith is so important. Do you know why we're trying to build a community of faith? In reality, what we're trying to do, I would, I would compare it to building a chain. So what, what church is about is about building a chain. And the final link in that chain, the last one, is the one that links us to God and connects us to Him and puts us into relationship with Him. What we really want, the, the complete bottom line, is that you have the strongest possible connection to God. That He is your Father and your best friend, and you know that He and His love are with you every day of your life. And that's where faith comes in. Look at the passage I put in your crosswalk notes. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. What is it that gives us our connection to God? It is faith. It's, it's belief. And so faith, the building up of faith is so critical because, again, those are the last two links of the chain. As we build up faith, what do we also build up? According to that, you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We build up a stronger connection to God. Your identity becomes more and more firm that you are a child of God as your faith becomes more and more firm. So here's what I want you to write down. The first thing to just understand is that our connection to God comes through faith. The stronger our faith is, the stronger our connection is. That's why Jesus was amazed. He was basically saying, man, you are so connected to me and to God that you trust if I just even just say the word, it's going to happen. And that is amazing to me. 
And how then do we locate the next link in the chain? What is the next link in the chain? If, if our connection to God is linked to our faith, what can strengthen faith? How does the church, in other words, go about its bottom line work of building up faith in people's hearts? And that we find in the next passage. Consequently, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Go back to the very top of the page. Remember your leaders who, let's read it together, spoke the word of God to you. See, even back then, they knew that the way for the church to go about its business was to speak the word of God to people, to share the gospel with people. Faith comes from hearing the message. And then Paul in Romans ten seventeen gets even more specific, doesn't he? Not just any message, not just getting people to read the Arizona Republic, but the message about Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, the good news of all that he's done for us, the cross. The nails through his hands and feet, the blood shed for you and me, the death that he died. And, and not just those raw facts, but the why behind all of those things. Why did, he, why did he have nails driven through his hands and feet? Why did he bleed and why did he die? Why did he suffer and allow himself to be mocked? And the Bible answers it so clearly because he loves you and because he loves me and because he was that better sacrifice that is talked about in the book of Hebrews that clears away and clears out all of our sin and guilt and shame. And then he rises again to show us that the victory is his. The victory is won. The victory is ours. That's the message that does so much to shift our hearts, to change our minds, to move our lives onto a new track. So here's what I want you to to write down next. Our connection to faith comes through the gospel. So are you seeing the chain? Our connection to God comes through faith. Our connection... To faith comes through hearing the gospel promises of Jesus Christ. This is why he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And we, 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 we have to get faith to understand why hearing God's word is so important. I've used this illustration before, but this is a case where I feel like, man, I, this is one I can't repeat too often. I want this one to be stuck in your heads. Faith is, first of all, knowledge. And I want you to write that down. Find a a space in the margin. Faith is knowledge. We have to know the facts. Don't, Don't buy into the faith in faith philosophy that's all around you in the world today. That if you're just sincere, doesn't matter what it's about, doesn't matter who it's in, as long as you believe strongly enough, you're good. That's baloney. We have to know who and what it is we believe because the foundation of Christian faith is Christ and the word of God. We have to recognize 
who he is and what he's done for us. In the same way is if I'm looking for something that I'm going to use as a seat, I have to know what a chair looks like. If I try to sit on this, I might be in trouble. And so I have to know the characteristics of a chair. Chair has legs. It's got a place where I can put, as the Brits say, my bum. And I know this is a chair, not a stool. Why? Because it has a back. If it didn't have a back, we'd probably call it a stool. It's a chair. I recognize it as having the characteristics of a chair. So first of all, faith is knowledge. I have to know who Jesus Christ is and what he's about. Secondly, faith is agreement. So it's not just knowing that these are the facts. It's being able to compare those facts with my reality and say, is he or isn't he the match for these facts? And that's, that's what the writer to the book of Hebrews is doing. He's saying, let's, let's look at all the facts that we know about the promised Messiah and let's compare them to Jesus and let's decide, do we agree or don't we agree? He's the man. He's the guy. And he argues throughout the whole book, bam, bam, bam. I'm not going to go into the individual arguments. For this reason, he's the Messiah. For that reason, he's the Messiah. For still another reason, he's the Messiah. In the same way that I would see, see, there you go. That's a chair, that's not. Because that has the characteristics of a chair, that does not. I could hurt myself sitting on that. There's knowledge, there's agreement. I've agreed that's a chair. Will you agree with me? But there's one more final and very important piece to faith. And that is trust. Now many Christ followers think it's enough to know and agree. But faith goes beyond knowing the fact. You may have so many Bible passages memorized. You may have the doctrines of the scriptures down to a T. You may be able to, to argue like the best attorney, the facts of Christian doctrine. You may even agree that they're all right. But at Crosswalk Church, and by the way, that's what the author to the book of Hebrews is also asking these people. There's always this important question, and you've heard me ask it before, and I'm going to ask it again today. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? That's what he's asking the Hebrews. Okay, you've got the facts. You know what the Messiah is supposed to look like. You've been taught. Jesus looks a whole lot like that. Now let me ask you a question, the author to the book of Hebrews says. How much do you believe it? You're looking for safety. You're worried about the Roman Empire and your neighbors persecuting you. You're worried about... All these fears of losing your property and being arrested, maybe even losing your life. But do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe, the creator, the one who sustains your life, your protector, your hope? You know what he's ask, asking them? You know what we're asking you? Will you sit down in that chair? You see, it looks like a chair. You agree. You even agreed with me. It is a chair. 
Will you sit down in the chair? Because guess what? Our church is not doing its job unless we're doing all three. We're teaching you to know Christ. We're teaching you to agree that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and your hope and your future. And then what we want for you is to sit down and rest in those promises. And when you're asked, when you ask yourself, do I believe that what I believe is really real? The answer is a resounding yes. And because it's yes, it bleeds through into every last nook and cranny of your heart and your mind and your life. You sit down and you rest, really rest in Jesus. That's the bottom line for church. That's, isn't that what the centurion was doing? When he said, Jesus, I don't need you to come to my house. I'm relaxed, see? I'm perfectly at peace here. You just say the word. I know it's going to get done. And because the centurion sat down in Jesus, what did Jesus do? He got amazed. He got amazed. I have never seen faith like this before. See what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture is God-breathed. You see, when when we study this book, we want everyone to know and believe and trust that this This is no ordinary book. It is straight from the mouth of God. And it is useful. Circle that word. Star that word. It is is not just something to go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's intriguing. Oh, that's surprising. It is useful. On the very first Sunday of this shift series, I said the sermon is only half done when you leave this room. And the reason I said that is because the sermon's not done until you take the word of Jesus and put it into practice in your life. And you only do that if you believe that what we're teaching when we teach from the Bible is useful to you. And that's what it says it is, useful for teaching, for rebuking, which means telling people you're going the wrong way, (laughs) correcting, getting people back on track. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. And training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What we're looking for as a church is to to equip you not only to receive uh, Christ's blessings and rest in him, but also to say, now how do I say thank you to Jesus? How can I worship him and serve him and give on to others what I've received? How can I give glory to God? In other words... In everything that I do and say in my life, well, it comes through Scripture. So here's the last link in the chain, and that's what this series is all about. And I I wanted to come back to this and help pull it all together, because sometimes it's easy to, to, to get disconnected and not really have clarity on why we're teaching this series called Shift. The bottom line for the church is people who are deeply, deeply, deeply connected to God and resting in Jesus, which happens through faith. 
which happens through the teaching of the gospel. And what this series has been all about is, do you have habits and are you engaged in environments that connect you to the gospel? That's the last link. Do you see those four links? Habits and environments that connect you to the gospel, which grows and nurtures your faith, which connects you through God the Father to Jesus, to, through Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's, we're building a chain. And if you go back in the series, it's pretty clear that we were building a chain. We said one of those habits, one of those environments is Sunday morning worship. Come here regularly. Be in church every Sunday because this is where you're going to hear the gospel. And so I want you to write down practical teaching because we said when when you come here on Sunday morning, we're trying to to make you wise builders, not foolish builders. And what, what did Jesus say in that parable that we studied on that day? There's only one difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder. Remember what it was? Both of them listened to the word of God. But only the wise builder put it into practice. And that's why we made such a strong point three weeks ago. Come here every week. Worship regularly so that you can be in the word and be reminded of these truths. And be affirmed in these truths so that your faith can deepen. But always remember, how far finished is the message when you walk out the door? Half. Half. Because the message gets finished by you. You put the amen on the message when you live it out in your life. Because remember, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We talked two weeks ago, Pastor Dan taught you about private disciplines. That's, again, habits and environments, isn't it? Do you have a little environment in your home where you have a personal devotion? Do you have a habit of opening up your Bible? I want you to write this down next to private disciplines. Private victory precedes public victory. I really believe that. Private victory precedes public victory. It's so important for us to develop private disciplines. And by the way, private doesn't mean completely alone in a closet always. Private can mean things that you do motivated alone by the Spirit at work in you. And it may be somewhat public. For example, I strongly believe that a private discipline that all of us need to develop is coming to communion. For the strengthening of our faith, because that connects us to the gospel. And if you're not attending communion regularly, let me just in love, in love, encourage you, come to communion regularly. If you're new here, and and maybe you've heard, well, I've got to take these classes, 101 and 201, and it seems like such a stretch and such a journey, and I don't know if I want to go through all that trouble, let me beg you, in love, begin the journey. Take the 101 class, take the 201 class, so that you can develop a private discipline of coming and enjoying the blessings that God wants you to have in Holy Communion. There are so many different little private disciplines. Pastor Dan went through them. I'm not going to go through them all again. If you haven't heard that message, I want to encourage you to get on the podcast and listen to how you can create personal habits and little environments in your life that will connect you to the gospel. 
which connects you to faith, which connects you to God. And the last one Pastor Dan taught us last week was personal ministry. Man, I so enjoyed listening to that message on the podcast. That he knocked it out of the park last week. Because he, he made the point, rightfully so, that when we get engaged in ministry in our life, that will necessarily drive us back into the Word of God. Because anytime you try to put God's Word into practice in your life and serve with it, in a sinful world, surrounded by fellow sinners, what's always going to happen? You're going to be challenged. You're going to fail. You're going to feel hopeless at times, like, I just can't do this. And then there's going to be the occasional wonderful blessing of success. And all of that is going to cause you to go, wow, I need you, God. I can't do this alone. And, and when there seems to be some little uh, lamp of success burning, I just got to thank you for that because I can tell it wasn't me, it was you. It drives us right back into the word. It reminds us that we're sinners. Because when we serve, whose failures are we most reminded of? You know, our own. Serving keeps us repentant. And that's a good thing. And that leads us to the cross and to the empty tomb for strength and hope and forgiveness and joy in serving. Pastor Dan talked about the little personal things that you do. You know, when we talk about personal ministry, don't get it in your head that we're talking about, oh, he's talking about the stuff I do at church. No. If you're a husband or a wife, and, and you're, you're, that's one of those you know and I know. Boy, talk about knowing that we need God, right? When we're serving a personal ministry of being a great husband and wife to our spouse and how we fail and mess up, how our spouses fail and mess up and how that all just convinces us we need God all the more in our lives and in our marriages. What about being a parent? That's a personal ministry. So a lot of personal ministry gets done Every day in our lives. But there's also, as Pastor Dan pointed out, the kind of personal ministry that we do together. Children's Crosswalk Kids. Phil leading Ignite and Radiate Youth Ministry, helping teens and, and walking together with them. Our worship team. Our team out on the patio making sure that we're well fed and greeted warmly. Security team making sure that our, that our cars are safe. And our kids are safe and all that good stuff. It's wonderful to have all these different opportunities. And, and I want to encourage you. Find that place in this church to, to do your personal ministry. It's not always easy. I, I, I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy to find that place. Try and talk to people. Maybe start a ministry of your own, but keep trying. It's important because it will help you be driven to your knees and then back to the gospel. So I want to show you, flip the page over, that this is a theme throughout Scripture that as people we drift, and, and the author to the Hebrews is saying, I have a relationship with you that I have been given the ability to say to you, get back over here. Come on. And don't we all need friends in life who can say that honestly to us? We're on the straight and narrow. We're headed the right direction. And, and then that's when we know we have a really true and good friend. When they can look us straight in the eye and say, dude, you are so 
off base. Get back here. Take a look at what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Dude, you learned this from great people. In the, in the book of First and Second Timothy, we learn that some of those people were his own mother and grandmother. And that's why he goes on and he says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's another environment or habit that we need to have to be connected to the gospel, which connects us to faith, which connects us to God providential relationships because we all need those friends friends who are walking with jesus friends that we can sit down with friends who can talk to us the way paul is talking to timothy the way the author of the book of hebrews is talking to those people the way Paul will, in just a moment, will read it, talk to the Corinthian congregation, which is plain and simple. We know Jesus. We know where Jesus wants us to go. We know how Jesus wants to sit down and rest in him, know that his promises are true, believe that what he's taught us is really real. We know this. You're over there. Get back here. We need that. And if you're sitting in the auditorium today like I once was, and it's not get back here, but it's sit here for the first time and see how it feels to sit. That's a providential relationship too. I, I've, I've said many times, the, the, the most people that come to Crosswalk for the first time, you know how they get here? Because a friend invited them. How did I get to church? You've heard me tell many times the story, and I'm not going to do it again today, about Ray and Marlene and Steve, who when I was a teenager would have nothing to do with God or Jesus or the church. And for three long years, they were a providential relationship in my life until the Holy Spirit dragged me across the line of faith and I began to sit in a chair. I don't know if I've ever told you the story, though, of my first ministry in Zambia, and after six years, I was still in my early 30s, and I was asked to do something that nearly crushed me. Um, I was asked to be the field leader. Now, Zambia, what that meant was, I guess you could probably compare it to being the senior pastor of a very large multi-site church with thousands of members because that's, that's what it was. Many congregations, thousands of members, and at barely older than 30 years old, I was asked to be the field leader. And part of me wanted to do it. I love to lead other believers, but I also many times felt crushed by it. I didn't, there were times when I just absolutely had no idea what to do next. But God did something wonderful for me. There was an older gentleman in his 70s, E.H. Wentland, who God had uh, sent there 20, 25 years before me, who had served in the exact same position I was being asked to serve in, served there and then moved back to the United States and became a seminary professor. He was my seminary professor 
in, in my seminary in Wisconsin, so I got to know him well there. And then when I graduated from the seminary and was assigned to Zambia, a few years later, E.H. Wentland came back as a retired pastor just to serve and help out. And boy, what a providential relationship God provided for me in him. I, I still, it's, it's such a strong memory in my mind. I still remember the very first time I had that sort of, this is too much for me. This responsibility is crushing me. All, all these people and all these congregations and all these missionaries and all these national pastors. And I went and I sat down in his office and I said, what am I doing? And he listened to me and he talked with me. And most of all, he prayed with me. And my fears, just by him graciously being my God-provided friend and mentor and role model, dissipated. And he said, you need to come back and talk again. I'm here. I've, I've been in your shoes. I don't have all the answers, but I will talk with you. I will listen to you. I'll carry the burden with you. I'll pray with you. And we'll both remember that we're walking with Jesus. And that's the best thing of all. Can you see why I so clearly remember that conversation? And we all need those kinds of relationships in our lives. That's why it says in this passage, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember them. Don't forget. Samuel Johnson says it so well. We more need to be reminded than we do instructed. Just need to remember those leaders like E.H. Wentland. You have them in your life who spoke the word of God to you. Remember, we're not talking about any old friend here. We're not talking about someone who's great at just giving us earthly wisdom. This is, this is about having a friend who follows Jesus and is filled with his wisdom. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I always think about E.H. A man who lost his first wife to cancer and then remarried five or six years later and had... Two wonderful marriages guided by Christ and returned to Africa twice, taught at the seminary. And I thought, man, compared to the life I grew up with, I, would, I can consider that outcome of way of life all day long because that's wonderful. It's to, to, to be walking together who walk with someone who walks with Jesus is wonderful. And do you know why? If you're walking with someone who's walking with Jesus, who are you also walking with? Jesus. Because when he walks with Jesus and you walk with him, you're going to be walking with Jesus. And that's exactly how it works. Here's what Paul says. This is, he was that kind of friend. Do not be misled, he says to the Corinthians. Remember? Get back over here. Bad company corrupts good character. You guys, you're drifting. Just like the author of the Hebrews is saying, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So here's two good questions for you. Ask yourself, who are my role models? So important. And remember, not any old role model. We're talking about role models in Christ. Who's walking with Jesus that you look up to that could be your friend? It might be someone younger than you. It might be someone your own age. It might be someone in the next generation. It might be all three. 
And here's the word I want you to write down in the margin next to these two questions. Intentionality. Guys, can I say this in love? Too many of us believe that we can make it through life alone. Too many of us allow ourselves when we're hurting and in pain to isolate. Some of you sitting here today are are doing that right now. You're hurting, you're in pain, and you're pushing others away out of your life. And that is not what God intends. What does God say right away in Genesis? It is not good for the man to be alone. In Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. It's throughout the whole Bible. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Don't isolate. Don't convince yourself you can go it alone. Be intentional, in other words, about finding people who can be Christian companions and friends and role models in your life and get them into your life and keep them in your life. And then the second thing is, who am I modeling for? Because we can flip that right around, can't we? Do you know that God is forming you into the perfect role model for someone else? That you are someone else's providential relationship that God wants to use to guide someone into this church or to strengthen someone who's already in this church? And be intentional. That's why we have groups. That's why we have ministry teams to provide little, once again, environments where you can connect with others and say, I'll, I'm willing. I'll role model for them just as others have role modeled for me. But the best question of all is simply this. Who is the one best friend? Best role model? Best substitute, most of all, who will always be there for me even when I mess up? And that's what I love in this Hebrews section. This little verse is the most beautiful verse of all. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Isn't that awesome? There's your friend who's always there for you, even when you mess up and sin and you're full of guilt and shame over what you've done again. He's still there for you. He's your best role model. He shows us what a godly life is all about. And he is the one and only, as the book of Hebrews says, sacrifice for all your sins. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Jesus who died on the cross 2,000 years ago because he loves you is the Jesus Christ who is walking with you today and he loves you. That's the best question of all. And the answer is, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior. The chain. That's why we're doing this series. It's the chain. And it's the mission and the vision of this church. It's what we're all about. It's our bottom line. We want you to come every Sunday and get practical teaching. We want you to have private disciplines in your life. We want you to be engaged in personal ministry. We want you with intention to look for and see and be the providential relationships for one another. Why? Because those are the habits and those are the environments 
that connect you to the gospel. And what does the gospel do? It connects you to faith. Those promises say, sit down in Jesus. And guess what? Look at me. See how tight of a relationship I have with this chair right now? That's just how tight of a relationship Jesus is going to give you with the Heavenly Father. And that's why we're doing this shift series. Because we want to build that chain for you. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you that you've been so clear with us how we can have a close relationship with you. It's through faith. And Lord, as a church, we ask that you would help us to build the faith of the people who come here. Help us to to lead them into your gospel promises. And by your Spirit's power, Lord, you convince them, because only you can, that these promises are really real and they can rest in them. Lord, help us to to be a church that shows people clearly what the habits and environments are that will lead them to consistently have those gospel promises in their lives. And, And now, Lord, this message is only half finished. Motivate the people in this room to go out and put these words into practice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You ever wonder, why is God letting this happen to me now or again? You know, one of the environments that God sometimes provides for us to grow in our relationship with him, we might call pivotal circumstances. And that is going to be the final in our series next week. I want to strongly encourage you to come back because I hope I've made the case today. I hope God has made the case today through his word that this is how we connect with him. And one of those things that's so important in our life is to know pivotal circumstances are going to come. And so how can those be circumstances in which we rest even more firmly in Jesus and his promises? So with that little intriguing teaser, I'm going to send you out into your week to uh, start finishing the rest of the sermon. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you back next week. And I'll see you on the patio.